I say, you know it's got to be good stuff when you run out of your shoe to get to uh, the children's <laughs> ministry stuff that's going on. Um, well, again, welcome. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab that. Those will be in Acts chapter 20 this morning, Acts chapter 20. We're just in a series walking right through uh, the book of Acts. And so uh, last week, uh, we see God move in a huge way uh, in Ephesus. And so uh, he gets glory and honor out of healing people. And what he does is he uses the Apostle Paul, uh, but not just the Apostle Paul, he uses his hanky. Uh, and, and so the scriptures read that his handkerchief was healing people. If they could just touch it, if they could get to where Paul was, uh, God would miraculously uh, heal the people. And so uh, from there, we see God getting glory from that. But then he also gets glory uh, from some hypocrites. And what I mean by that is this, is we see the seven sons of Sceva, these uh, Jewish men that are gonna try to uh, emulate what the apostle Paul was doing. And they're gonna try to exercise a demon, try to rid a demon of a man. And so they approach this demon-ridden man um, and start to have conversation with the demon. As, as they do, uh, the demon, the seven sons of Sceva, um, are engaged in this conversation and the demon-possessed man says, Jesus I've heard of, Paul I know, but who are you again? To which I would be like, I'm out. My apologies, I'm so sorry, but they continue on in the process of trying to rid this man of this demon and they pretty much get whooped. And what I mean by whooped is this, they engage in a fight with this demon-ridden man to the point of where they come into the fight or into this exorcism with clothes, they leave without clothes. So I don't know how much fighting you have done, but if you enter a fight with clothes and you leave, you lose if you don't have clothes on when you leave. And so we see that happen in the scriptures last week and, and God get glory out of that because what happens as a result of that, he works in such a huge way uh, as people come to know Jesus. Another platform and opportunity to proclaim the name of Jesus. And so God works through that in a, such a huge way that it says that the people there in Ephesus start to confess and repent of their sins. And so that may not sound like much, it may not sound like a big deal, but it's a huge deal because their faith and their belief and their confession and their repentance moved them in such a way that they would bring books and different things like that to burn. And so the things that they are struggling with and they start to confess and repent is not, uh, not kind of like how we do it in the uh, modern church today. Well, uh, how are you doing, brother? Good. Well, I'm kind of just struggling. What are you struggling with? Um, just stuff. And we kind of just wax over it and we're very shallow surface level. Uh, no, 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 these men and women that come to know Jesus here in Ephesus, when it says that they confess and repent, I mean, they're confessing some dark stuff. We're talking about like witchcraft type stuff. We're talking about some deep-seated sin in their life. They confess. I mean, the opinion of what people think about them doesn't matter because all that matters is Jesus and what he says. And so uh, they're serious about repentance and confession. And so then we closed out with seeing a riot almost break out because the gospel had influenced people in such a way that the sales of idols had dwindled. And so these, these blacksmiths, these silversmiths start to get frustrated and mad and they start to, uh, to, cause, to start to stir the people to cause a riot. And we see people just jump in and they don't even know what they're jumping in for, but hey, there's a riot, I'm in. Who can we yell at and scream at? Which is that not just a picture of our modern culture? The world that we live in? Yeah, you wanna be mad at somebody? I'm in, who we got? Let's go. You wanna scream and yell, let's, cause it. let's do it, I'm in. And so we talked about that a little bit and we finally landed at the place where uh, uh, they, they simmer down and they, they stop. And so if you missed any of uh, that talk last week uh, on Mother's Day, happy Mother's Day, right? Uh, what, a, what a sermon for a Mother's Day. Um, so if you missed any of that last week, uh, you can check it out online. And so I'm gonna ask you one more time if you would join me as we pray and ask God to just speak to our hearts this morning in this place through his word. So Lord, we, um, God, we acknowledge, I acknowledge that we need you and God, we need you in a mighty way this morning in these next few moments. 
God, to interpret your word to the hearts of your people. God, that your Holy Spirit would do a work in this place so great that when we leave this place, that we'll be changed. God, help change us by way of your Holy Spirit into the image of your glorious Son. God, do a work, we pray. Jesus, we need you. And so God, I pray this morning, as I do every week, that you'd save the lost in this room. God, maybe the lost that came in didn't even realize they were lost. God, that your Holy Spirit would start to do such a great work as to stir and uh, uh, ignite the realization of their need for you. So God, move in that heart, maybe hearts. And God, for those in the room this morning that are afraid, that are afraid to confess and repent like we saw last week, God, that you would help them get over that fear. And God, may they know this morning that this is a place, a safe place, where we can do that. We can be open and honest with what we're struggling with. God, we don't have to wear the mask. We don't have to fake and pretend. God, help us to get to the place where the only opinion in the room that matters is yours. So Jesus, do a work, we pray. God, do a work in this place. We beg of you. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. So before we jump into Acts, I just want to again say congratulations, graduates. I know you've kind of dispersed um, and just say, man, we are proud of you. Uh, we count it an honor to be able to celebrate all uh, that God has accomplished through you. Um, and uh, so today, just like last week for Mother's Day, we're going to continue to trek through and walk through the book of Acts as we're in this series. And I just believe um, that all of God's word is profitable for helping us to grow uh, and mature into the people of God. So whether you're a graduate, whether you're uh, a mom, whether you're a dad, whether you're uh, a middle school student, regardless of who you are, I just believe that uh, uh, we always wanna be intentional in walking through the scriptures and letting God's word just work us over, letting God's word uh, uh, make us aware of certain things that maybe we need to press into, make us aware of certain things that we need to dial into and make uh, uh, a priority in our life, and so we're just gonna continue to do that. So I believe today will be very beneficial for graduates as well as their mother, as well as their father, as well as their aunts and uncles, cousins, as well as uh, the, uh, maybe an owner of a business this morning in this place, M maybe even as a, uh, a spouse. I just believe with everything in me that the word of God uh, will challenge us and change us into the image of uh, Jesus. And so um, I, I wanna say this. this, this time of year always scares me. It kind of stirs some just um, fear and anxiety. And what, and what I mean by that is this, is because statistically for many of you uh, uh, that has graduated, life's about to change in a, in a huge way, in, in a pretty big way. And as some of you kind of have shared that you're about to go off to school or, or maybe enter into the workforce. And uh, as you get older, there always seems to be this a uh, little bit more uh, freedom given to you and things like that. And what, what scares me the most is not the fact that you're growing up, but what scares me the most is what statistics say about you. And so statistically speaking this morning, graduates, what's, what the numbers say is this, is that very many of you will walk away from the faith in the church over the next few years. That very many of you will have nothing to do uh, with, with Jesus or the church or, or whatever the case is. And, and I, just, I, just, I just wanna encourage you this morning, man, to please pay attention to what God's word says, to, to press into, because what I believe is that this is one of the most beautiful places on the planet. It is the beautiful, most beautiful place to gather and to be a part of. I mean, if you look in scripture and the way that Jesus talks about his church and his love for her, and, and think about it for a moment, probably everybody in this place has experienced some rough times in churches before, have been through difficult times, have been burnt or hurt or uh, have lost trust in or, or just had a number of things happen to you while in the local church. But when you read the scripture and you see what Jesus thinks of her, and I say all of that to say this, because hear me, the church is not this building as grand and glorious as this building may be, or you may think it may be, 
The church is not the building. The church are the redeemed believers in this place who put their faith and trust in Jesus, who are following him, who are seeking him, who are loving him above all else, who are pursuing him. That's the church. And we're gonna close this place down here in a few hours and there'll be nobody here. But the church has went out. The church is on the move. And so I say that to say this, that regardless of how bad church has been or your experience has been, hear me, every church struggles with the same thing. Why, because we're all people and we've all got issues and we've all got struggles and God is working to grow us and mature us and to change us. And so there's gonna be those hangups, there's gonna be things that happen. And so I just, man, I wanna beg of you, just, just press in, man, focus on Jesus, walk with him, don't become a statistic. Don't fall into that number that falls away and has nothing to do with Jesus until maybe around their 30s when they have kids and they wanna stick them back into the church to try to uh, uh, get, get them better than they were. But to press in, to continue to walk. Uh, my challenge for you graduates is this, is that you don't, you don't become a statistic, but you become a solution. You hear what I'm saying? Uh, don't fall into the number, oh, I, that church is crazy as I'll get out. I want nothing to do with it. She's, she's hypocritical. She's, and so is, so, is, so is you. So is you. That's horrible language, English, right? So is you. Hey. Man, I was getting into it there for a moment and just lost that. But so are you. Every single one of us that sit in this room is hypocritical. Are we not? Every single one of us in this room will preach against something, say we're against something, and in no time give into it one way or another. In, in no time slip into maybe a little practice of it here or there. Fall into it. And so my plea for you this morning, graduate, is this, is that not to become a statistic, but to become a solution. That we find you to be just as valuable as anybody else in this church. And what I've learned about the church is simply this, is that God has gifted every single person in this place this morning to reach people in your sphere, in, in your place of life. So as you go away to college, as I prayed for you this morning, it's not just to go to get smarter so you can get a big job and make a lot of money. No, it's a mission field, a new mission field to go and spread the glorious news of the gospel. Same thing for every other person in this room. Your job tomorrow morning is not just a place to go so you can gain, uh, uh, get more money so you can grow, so you can support your family. So you can, no, 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 it's a place for you to go and minister and share the good news of who Jesus Christ is. And so I beg of you this morning, every single person in this room, whether a graduate, whether you've been out of school for 30 years, man, to press in and to see what God has for us this morning because there's gonna, I just believe that God's got something in his word for us this morning. So Acts chapter 20, we're gonna start in verse seven and just work our way through. It says this, it says, on the first day of the week, uh, when we were gathered together to break bread. So we see that the purpose of this meeting, they, the church has come together, they're breaking bread, they're taking communion, they're worshiping, they're making much of Jesus. Church looks a lot different uh, in this time period than it does today. Um, and so uh, the scripture goes on and says this, it says that Paul talked with them intending to depart on the next day and he prolonged his speech until midnight. And so what we see and what we know about the early church is that there would be a lot of discussion first. They would get there, they would talk, they would fellowship. Sometimes questions would be asked which would demand lengthy explanations, kind of a, a discourse in that question and they would walk through it and talk through it. And so Paul answered questions before he jumped in and started preaching. That's what we see here. And so Paul, he's about to leave to go on a long journey, yet his love for the church keeps him there. Instead of getting to what he needed to get to to prepare and get ready for the journey, his love for the church and the people here uh, keep him there to continue to talk about Jesus. And so verse eight says that there were many lamps in the upper room where they had gathered. And so what we see is this, is the church comes together in houses. 
They come together and they gather here in this house and it starts to get late and Paul's answering these questions and he's getting ready to preach, to start to preach and look at what happens next. And this is where we're gonna camp out for a bit. I believe there's some, uh, just a great nugget of truth here that we can pull from this text. And this is where we'll hang out. Verse nine, it says, and a young man named uh, Eutychus sitting at a window, sank into a deep sleep and Paul still talked longer. So Paul's good, but come on, man. He put the boy to sleep. You know what I'm saying? So none of you have had that problem with me yet, right? So Paul apparently has been speaking so long that he puts the boy to sleep. So if you think that I'm wrong, think about the Apostle Paul, right? Because none of you, well, maybe some of you in my preaching have fallen asleep, but that's another sermon for another day. And look at the scripture, it continues. It says this, it says, and being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. When's the next time you fall asleep in church? Mm Mm-hmm. My first point, no, I'm joking. That's not my point. So what we see here in the text is simply this, is the the boy falls asleep. Paul is preaching and telling of Jesus and he falls asleep and he falls out of the window to his death. I mean, think about that. Three stories high, falls out of the window, falls asleep at, at the preaching. Maybe he got too comfortable. I don't know what the deal was, but he falls asleep. And so my hope here this morning is to warn you not to fall asleep on your faith, regardless of who you are, regardless of where you're at in your walk of life regardless of what your circumstances are. Do not fall asleep in your faith. Don't get complacent, don't get comfortable, stay alert, stay hungry. Do not be so easily satisfied with all that this world has to offer. I beg of you not. C.S. Lewis says this, I've got a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this, just a, a mammoth of the faith. He says this, he said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. He says, we're too easily satisfied. Our desires and longings or wants are are not great enough. That, That the little trinkets and things of this world and of this life so easily derail us and so easily get our attention and draw us away. He says, We're half-hearted creatures at best. We're fooling around with all of that stuff. He says we are like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slums because he cannot imagine what it is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. He says we're far too easily drawn to, attracted to, content in the slums and mud pies of this world. The sin and the things of this world He says we don't know where true joy is really found at at bay, uh, at a night at sea, away from all of those things and in Jesus Christ. He says that we're, we're too easily drawn in and satisfied by those things. And he ends his quote by saying this, that we are far too easily pleased. I mean, is that not just a picture of our world? Far too easily pleased. And we find satisfaction in the most ridiculous types of things, do we not? So what are those things that rob us of our real purpose in life? It could be media. I mean, is it not, is it not crazy to think about for a moment that statistics say that we will spend four hours nowadays just scrolling? In an average day, three to four hours just scrolling, checking statuses, looking at everybody else's dream life. But, but do you know that as we do that four hours a day, what statistics say that, that depression and anxiety is on the rise and those numbers are as high as they have ever been? Do you not think that they're connected somehow? We, we look at and we post and we see over and over and over how great everybody else's life is. All the while ours is falling apart. I mean, if we could only get, to, and do you not see how that brings anxiety, depression, struggle, looking at how, how joyous and happy everybody else is? 
I mean, so those kinds of things can distract us. What about this money? Money can distract us. The love of it, the, the running after, the trying to get as much as we can. Oh, I've got to work overtime. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to get in there. I've got to keep on going. I've got to go in early. I've got to stay late. Money, 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 money. I've got to have more. I've got to have more because I want this. But my kids have got to get into this school. They've got to be that. They've got to go there. They've got to, we've got to invest in this. We've got to do all of those kinds of things. So money can be a distraction. Money can be something that can so easily satisfy us, so we think. What about this church and religion? That can even be something that, that, that derails us and causes us to take our eyes off of Jesus. It's a battle I fight every week. I mean, I know that I've got to prepare and get ready to, to preach. And if I'm not careful, I can just let the, my responsibility of what I have to do be the thing that, that takes me away from Jesus himself, even though I'm in the scripture. It can become so routine that it's just something that I do, that it's just a, a habit that I do. And, and I don't believe that all habits are bad, but whenever the heart of the habit and the matter at hand is done away with, and so I can let that become overwhelming to me. I'm doing the Jesus thing, and I'm talking to him. I'm looking at his word, all the while missing him in the whole thing. So that can be evident in our life. That could be something that could take us away if we don't keep the heart and the purpose behind it. Hobbies can be something that draws us away. Time away at the beach, time away here. Whatever your hobby may be, whatever that thing is, it helps you relax, a hike, a whatever you can start to become to enjoy the stuff more than the one that has given the stuff. Relationships, relationships can be something that draws us away. Whether that be a relationship with a significant other, whether that be trying to get into a relationship so you can find your significant other. I mean, it, it can be a number of things relationally that, that draws us away, that causes us to miss what we were created for, to cause us to love less Jesus and love that relationship or that person more. And so something that we have to fight, it could be kids, that, that could be a relationship that draws us away from Jesus, getting them to every single thing that they need to get to, doing every single thing that they need to do. And if you, and if you package a few of these things together real fast, I mean, it can really get our attention away from Jesus, can it not? I mean, my goodness, if you think about money, you think about kids, you think about hobbies. And, and I just wanna, I just wanna lovingly uh, just kind of let the, the cat out of the bag for a moment. We're talking statistics this morning. The reality is this. There's the chances of one kid in this place this morning going pro is very not likely. And so we're going to invest and we're going to pour into and we're going to get them to every little thing. And we're going to spend tons of money on all of those kinds of things, never pouring into them the love of Jesus with that kind of affection, that kind of intention to detail like we do a, a ball game or a practice or a, a camp never pouring into them the reality of who Jesus is and, and what really matters when, when, like I said, chances are they're, they're not gonna make a pro. I mean, I, I've, I've landed, look at me. There's nothing about me that reeks pro. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I I'll, I'll kind of, I'm six foot on a tall day, not really, more like 5'10", you know what I'm saying? And my vertical jump is this. And I run kind of fast if I'm going downhill. And what I know is that my boys have got enough of my genes in them that they're gonna struggle with the same things. So what I wanna do is I wanna invest in them in things that matter, in things that will last, in things that's gonna stand the test of time. And I've gotta be careful not to be so easily uh, uh, satisfied with the ridiculous things of this world that promises us everything and leaves us empty. Hebrews 2.1 says this, he says, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. 
See, the author of Hebrews is saying here is that you need to stay awake. You need to listen. You need to pay attention. Uh, don't just hear, because we all just hear so often, don't we? Don't just hear, but, but truly listen, truly take it in. Hear what God's saying. Pay attention to what God's saying. He's the creator of it all. He knows infinitely. He's in control of all things. He gives us the way by which we should live, do, breathe. Everything is wrapped up in this book. Every answer, everything of the things that matter is right here. Everything that we need to know is the here. So we need to stay focused. We need to stay awake, pay attention so that what we've heard, so we don't drift away from it. Because if we're not paying attention, not fully invested, we may not even realize we're drifting. We may not even realize we're not listening. Do you think the boy really thought he was gonna fall out of a third story floor and die? Like, like, do you really think that was his plan that night? No, he was there to hear. He was there to, to listen. He was there uh, to see what was going on. And he gets tired for whatever reason. Don't get tired. I mean, stay alert, stay awake. See, we can look around and we can see a lot of, uh, of other distracted, dull Christians who talk Jesus' talk without walking Jesus' walk. And, and that's everywhere, is it not, church? So we assume that it's normal, that it's okay, and that we're doing just fine the only way we know if we're paying close attention to what Jesus says is if we take what he means and we live it out. Like, like what he says in Luke 9, 23. He says this to all, everybody that's there, his disciples, the, the crowd that had gathered, if anyone would come after me. So the invitation is for all. And the same thing goes this morning, if anyone would come after Jesus. That, that invitation is to you this morning, here in this place, in this moment. It's not by chance that you're here. It's not just about, oh, well, this graduate got me here. No, no, that, that was God getting you here through that graduate. That's the way that we look at it and see it from this side. There's no happenstance. There's no chance. There's not just a, a hope in the dark. That's not what it is. We have a, a God who is uh, well aware and in tune with everything that's going on in our world today. And so we believe that he is moving, that he is drawing. So however it is that you got here, this morning the invitation is the same for you. If anyone would come after him, if anyone would want him, look at what he says you've got to do. You've got to deny yourself. Not about me. Not about me because if you want him, you can't have you. You've got to, it's one or the other. It's either him or you. And we know where you leads we know where he leads, everlasting life, joy complete, all of those things. So if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And then he says, take up his cross. And I would be good if he said it there and just kind of left it. But Jesus has this way of really getting to the heart of the matter, does he not? So if anyone would desire to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. And then he puts this little tag, daily. So, so what Jesus says is this, is that you've got to take up your cross. You've got to die to self. Not about you again. It's just a play on that reality. Not about you, not about you, not about you. How do you not make it about you? Well, you die. You die to yourself, to your longings, to your wants, to your desires. You die. But you don't just die this one time. This die, it says daily. So it's in every moment of every day. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. What brings him glory? What brings him honor? What glorifies him? What makes much of him? What, what takes me out of the equation completely? That's how we stay awake. That's how we stay in tune with. And then he says this, just this beautiful little invitation. Now follow me. When you get to the place where you realize it's not about you and you're dying to yourself, now come on, let's do it. Come on, let's get on mission. 
come on, let's, let's, let's follow me. So hear me, it's a dangerous thing to become complacent or content. We will so easily trade things of matter and real worth for things that leave us empty and hungering for more. So graduate, mom, dad, student, son, daughter, churchgoer, I beg of you this morning to fight with everything in you not to become complacent or satisfied. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Stay awake, stay in tune, don't neglect pursuing, desiring, cherishing, depending upon Jesus. Everything in you, stay focused, listen to what you've heard, follow it out. And so what we see in the scripture is that the boy doesn't do that. He falls out of the window and is dead. But look at what Paul does next in verse 10. It says, but Paul went down and bent over to him, taking him in his arms, said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And so what God does is uses Paul to restore the boy, to bring him back to life. God uses him. And so I know the thought here. I know the road that will go down. Well, he really wasn't dead, was he? Like, he, he really didn't die. When was the last time you fell from a third story floor? Like I get on an eight foot ladder and I'm, I freak out. Like the lights in this place, we have to change them. I'm, I'm okay kind of with the ones on the side. When we get to the top, that's Tyler. But, but I, I, no, I write the job description, dude. That's you. <laughs> Can I get an amen, trustees? You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's how, no, no, no. Like I'm, I, get, I get like next to the top on an eight foot ladder. And, like my, and I used to never be afraid of heights and they're not high down here. It's when you get up there. So I don't know the last time you fell out of a third story window. And maybe you were creative when you did. I don't know. And you like rolled the right way and landed on your shoulder and just pop it back in and get up and walk. Maybe you're more of a man than me, okay. But the scriptures doesn't read like that. I mean, and think about it for a moment. Luke, the man that pins the book of Acts here, he's a doctor. Do you not think a doctor would be able to diagnose whether someone's alive or dead? Do you not think he'd be able to see whether there's life in the one or not life in the one? And when Paul uses this term here, do not be alarmed, it, what it implies that there's this huge uproar with much lamenting. You don't just lament over a kid that just, just stubbed up his shoulder. No, no, you lament and you're tore up and you're broken over the fact that someone is, is, their life has been taken from them. And so what we see here is God uses Paul in a mighty way to restore this boy to life. Well, because Paul's awake. Paul was in tune with what God was doing. Verse 11 says, and when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he can, um, conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so he departed. And so I'm just blown away with scriptures like this. I mean, let's recap for a second. Paul preaches late into the night, all the way into the morning. A boy falls out of the window and dies. Everyone gets upset, but God uses Paul in a mighty way to bring the boy back to life. And then Paul goes back and they take communion, and Paul continues talking with them until the daybreak, until the light comes up. And I look at this, I'm like, this is just a normal day for Paul. I mean, healing, healing the dead. Telling people about Jesus. What time is it? Who cares what time it is? There's people that want to hear about Jesus. He, he's all about telling people about Jesus all the time. Verse 12 says that they took the youth away alive and they were uh, uh, not a little comforted. So Paul leaves and everyone is just comforted by what just happened. They're, they're a lot comforted, not just a little, but a, a lot is the way that scripture would read. And I was like, I, I would think so. The boy just fell out the window. He's dead. Now he's alive. Look at what God has done. I mean, is that not an amazing thing that God's just always showing himself off all the time, everywhere? I mean, you see that and you read through the book of Acts. He's healing the dead. Or, or no, you can't, you, you raise the dead. He's healing the sick. But you can, I guess you can kind of heal the dead if you're God. 
doing all those kinds of things. You're like, well, that doesn't happen in our day. I don't know about you, but I saw a girl three weeks ago on a ventilator, no response to any stimulus. She looked like she was gone. And three weeks later, she's up. She's talking to her, to her nurses and, and joking around and flirting with them. I mean, I've seen it. Oh, that's just, you can explain that way. Can you, though? When did you get your PhD? When did you uh, see her last? When did you, I mean, I mean, we always look for God to do something amazing. And then when he does, we give credit everywhere else, do we not? I mean, God is still healing. God is still working. Do you know what's happening in the church all over the world today? I mean, God is raising up men and women to go out and proclaim and share the good news of Jesus. Lives are being changed. Complete, complete continents are being flipped upside down by what God's doing. We've got to be careful not to, to flow that way, not to land at that place. This is just a normal day for Paul. What's your normal day look like? How are you listening? How are you staying awake? I think the problem is we're so easy to drift off, are we not? We're so easy to lose our attention in what God is doing. So the story goes on and Paul heads to the ship to leave the town. This is verses 13 through 16. He sells a, bit, sells a bit heading to Jerusalem, but then he ends up in Ephesus. And Paul ends up as he's in Ephesus getting the elders together and he speaks to them. He says, remember all that's happened. Remember all that God has done. And the gospel came to Ephesus through the preaching and teaching of Paul for years. Remember that day in and day out what I did, he says. And so Paul is the, the face of leadership there. And we know what the scripture says is that he raises up he raises up uh, uh, other elders and, and turns them loose to go lead. He's the primary teacher. He's the primary leader. But he's getting them together. Look at what he does in verse 18. He gets them together to address them. And this is what he says. He says, and when they, the elders here at Ephesus, they came to him, um, he said to them, you yourselves know that I lived among you the whole time from uh, the first day that I set foot in Asia. He's like, I'm here, I was rubbing shoulders with you, I was amongst you, we were doing life together. Verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. He's like, you've seen it, you know this. And we were doing all this together, we were living life, we were uh, talking about Jesus walking in him. Verse 20, how, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house in the way they did church, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's like, I, I never shrieked from that. And I loved you enough to tell you, I loved everybody enough to tell them the truth about the reality of the state that they were in, their need for Jesus. And behold, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, verse 22, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second, but do you see, you see how he's doing church? Do you see how he's living out Jesus? See, we do church once or twice a week, maybe three times if we're lucky. We do this gathering like this where we gather together and we hear the word of God proclaimed once a week. But in Ephesus, what the Bible makes clear is that they met how day to day. They did life together. They cared for one another, not just one, once a week. They met constantly. They shared. They had all things in common is what the, the scriptures teach. They repent and they confess of their sin. That's the environment upon which Paul is living in and flourishing in. The church is moving and doing and that's, that's what church looked like there. I mean, is that not a beautiful picture of what, what church is to be like? I mean, a place where we truly care for and love one another? Uh, hear me, the problem is not the church. The problem is the people in the church. 
That's the problem because we don't have this heart. We don't care for and love one another the way that Jesus loves us, as the scripture commands and tells us to do. When was the last time you checked on someone? Well, preacher, we pay to do that. No, you don't pay, pay me to do that. No, no, you, the scripture is clear. You, you, you have employed me to raise up the saints, to equip the saints. That's what the scriptures teach. You are just as much a minister of the gospel of Jesus as I am. You are just as much to be making disciples as I am. You are just as much to be proclaiming and living out this truth and walking with one another and caring for one another just as much as anybody else on this staff. That was a great place for an amen and you missed it. Maybe it hit a little close to home. Maybe it hurt. Maybe what God's doing is starting to peel back and it's starting to show us. Maybe we don't love and care for the way that Jesus does. Maybe we aren't fully obedient to what God has called us to do as the men and women of God in his church. So they repented, they confessed, they cared for one another. I mean, in that environment, there's just close relationships. And what Paul is saying is, I'm about to leave. I'm about to head to Jerusalem. That's what the Holy Spirit has told me to do. And so what I want to press on us this morning is this, is that we need to be ready to go when God leads us away. Sorry. When God calls us away. We need to be ready to go when God calls. Like, like I just think of it, like I think of my life, and uh, I've been here for five and a half years. And before I got here, I was at another church for about five years, and it was good. Like I was a student pastor, but in that I felt God kind of stirring and kind of drawing, and I had a great ministry, great relationship with the people there. I mean, I had some of the best friends I've ever had in life at that church. And I can remember going to Meredith and I was starting to pray and I was starting to talk about, man, I think God's starting to do something. I don't know what it is. I don't know what, what's happening. And she's like, you better get your Jesus in check, man. She's like, I love these people. I'm like, baby, I do too. But we can't leave unless God calls us, unless God tells us to go. And so that's what we see happening here in the book, in the book of Acts with Paul. Man, he loves these people. He's connected to these people. All these people mean something. And so it hurts and it's hard to go when God calls you and says that it's time, but we have to obey church. We have to go. So, so why do I say that? Why do I press here? Why, why do I make mention of this? I make mention of this simply because this, if God continues to move and God continues to do a work here and add to his church, this sanctuary is gonna look much different down the road. And I'm not talking about we got like crazy ideas to hang some lights and do a fresh coat of paint and do some different stuff on the stage. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people sitting in the seats is gonna look much different. Because our heart, our vision is to make disciples who make a difference. And, and I don't know about you, but healthy things grow, and as healthy things grow, they need to expand, and they need to birth, and they need to go out. I mean, that's what we see in the book of Acts. That's the whole, one of the whole points behind preaching through the book of Acts is so that God would implant within us the desire for his church. Not our church, but his church. He's the leader of the church, not me, not anybody else in the building, it's God's church. And what we see in his church is that it grows to go. Not grows to set and implode on itself. No, it grows to go. That's what we're called to do and that's the very heart behind who we are. So my heart, my prayer right now is the crazy prayer that I'm praying is in three years we look much different in here. And there just happens to be two of us now. And they're not one's gonna meet early and one's gonna meet late. No, one's gonna meet at 350 Old Furnace Road and, and another one's gonna meet somewhere else in the county. Maybe in the next state up, I don't know. But our heart is that God would start to do a work in us so great. And so I mention this because you know what I've learned? You know what I've come to know? 
since being here, having the opportunity to birth uh, two small groups, and that's just 20 people. Can you imagine birthing when we get to about 300, 350 people? I mean, 20 people fall apart when you tell them that you're not gonna be able to meet together on a Sunday night for two hours. Can you imagine what's gonna happen to us as, as the men and women of God whenever I say, all right, church, I need about 75 to 100 of you to be praying to see where God's gonna send us in our next church plant. Can you imagine what that's gonna be like? The headache and the heartache. And hear me, it's gonna hurt and it's gonna sting and it's gonna be uncomfortable. But church, it is gonna be so worth it. Why? Because more people are gonna to get to hear the gospel. We, this is where if you desire to come after me, you gotta get over yourself. You gotta to die to self. I mean, is that not a perfect scripture to think of it this way? If we're gonna be that kind of church, it can't be about me. It's gotta be about taking the gospel to everybody everywhere. It's about taking what God has blessed us with here and let's go somewhere else and do that. Let's go somewhere else and plant that. Let's go somewhere else and, and be that in a community that doesn't have the opportunity to have and worship like we have. I mean, let's take the gospel to all people because what I know, statistically speaking, in South Carolina a few years ago, 70% of the people don't know Jesus as Savior. So, so don't tell me that we're Bible Belt and we've got it because we don't have a clue. So what do we do? We go. That's what we do. So, so I can't hear for a moment to tell you, man, that's our heart. That's what we've got to do, and it will never do that if we don't stay awake. We'll never do that if we don't press into God's word and press into his mission and his desire for his church. This is nobody's church here. This is his church. And we've got to be serious about seeking him and seeing what he wants to do with us and in us. And God always raises people up in his church for what? To send them out. To send them out. That's what he does. That's who he is because he's all about spreading his name and his fame. So all I'm asking you to do is to start to pray, to start to seek, to start to ask God what he would do, what that would look like, what that would mean for you specifically. And even if it stings, be willing for the sake of the gospel to go. Because I'm telling you right now, I've been gone for a little over five and a half years and I've still got some friends at the other church that I came from. I still get a phone call every so often. I still get a text and I still send it. I still do relationship with them, it just looks a little different right now. Because they know and I know that it's all about taking the gospel to a group of people to a place where Jesus can be made much of. And then look at Paul's heart here in verse 24, it says, but, but I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The only, only thing that mattered to Paul, the one driving force behind everything that Paul did was to finish the work that God had given him to do. God's given me a job. God's called me to something. That's what I want to do. He didn't care what happened to himself. He, it didn't, none of that stuff mattered. There was not a threat or an action that could stop him, stone his, his commitment to Jesus. Nothing could. That was his heart. Church, we've got to get to that place. And we'll never get to that place if we fall asleep. We'll never get to that place if we get satisfied over the things of this world or the little, little um, appetizers, that, that, that things that's thrown at us. If we're not uh, uh, feasting on the meat, our stomachs will get full and we won't even realize it. Like, like those of you that have kids, you know what I'm talking about. Give them a candy bar and they're like full. Yeah, for how long? For 30 minutes until the, until the sugar high comes, comes down, right? I mean, if you give them some potatoes and you give them some like protein and meat, man, a roll, God. And they'll, you can maybe get them down for a nap after lunch, you know what I'm saying? Well, because they're, they're satisfied, they're content. That's what we need to be in God's word. 
didn't care what happened to himself. Nothing could stop him. Paul wanted to tell as many people as he could about the grace and the gospel of God. Verse 25, and now behold, I know that none of you, you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. And so what Paul told them earlier is that affliction just waits for him from this point on. Everywhere that he goes, that's what's gonna happen. The Holy Spirit has testified to him, Paul, wherever you go, you're gonna be bound up, you're gonna be chained, you're gonna be mistreated. So what did Paul do? He just checked out and quit. No, that's not how the story reads. If so, then we'll be done at Acts chapter 20. That's not how it goes. No, 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 no. Paul continues on why? Because the Spirit's leading him, because he's in tune with God, because he's focusing on God, and, and he knows hardship's coming. God's told him hardship's coming. Hear me, church, hardship's coming. Same thing for us. This world despises us, wants nothing to do with us. So do we just quit, tag out, I'm done? No, we press into Jesus all the more. Now the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us, and we stay into, we gotta stay awake. We have to stay awake. There's great cost in following Jesus, church. There's great cost in following Jesus. And what I've learned is sometimes it will cost us the closeness of relationships. Verse 26, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Real quick, a few more things as we close. Like, I just love this verse. This is what I wanna model for our preaching ministry here at New Life. This is what I want it to be, that we're gonna declare the whole counsel of God I mean, we're gonna preach through books of the Bible. We're gonna walk through books of the Bible. We're gonna look at the whole counsel of God, what God's doing uh, in his word everywhere. We don't wanna shy away from the difficult texts or the difficult things. No, we wanna be men and women of the word we wanna press into. Like, do, like, do you know what we talked about Wednesday night as we're, we're walking through the book of Philippians? We talk about the hyper, hyperstatic union. Did I impress you a little bit? Because like, that's the only word I remember from college that's bigger than like two syllables. What we looked at was simply this, is that God became man. How the two were, were merged together and God was fully God in Jesus and God was fully man in Jesus. He was 100% God all the while being 100% man. Does anybody understand that? No. But we see it in scripture. We see Paul talk about it as he addresses the believers there in Philippi. So we're not gonna, we're not gonna shy away from it. I mean, do you not remember some of the stuff that we've covered in the book of Acts as we talked about racial reconciliation? How we're gonna be about going after all people everywhere regardless of, of skin color, regardless of background, regardless if they have a lot or they don't have a lot, if they live in a big house or if they live in a little, little shack. We're gonna go after all people everywhere. That it, None of that stuff matters to us. Because we're people of God going after all people everywhere. And so what I believe is that God just uses his word to shape us and mold us into the people that he wants us to be. And I believe one, one way that he does that is through his word. We've gotta be in his word. We've gotta look at his, the whole counsel of God. He wants us to be people of the word. Not just to be people that, that, that are, are gonna be at the church. He wants us to be people of the word while we're here, being in the word, studying the word, knowing the word. So hear me, if you wanna be a better man, if you wanna be a better woman, if you wanna be a better child, you wanna be a better student, you wanna be a better employee, then get closer to Jesus. We, we don't have a 10-step method, we have a one-step method and it begins in the word and ends in the word. The closer you get to Jesus through his word, the closer you get to Jesus through his people, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you're gonna be changed in the glorious image of Jesus. That's just what I've learned. The more you hang around somebody, the more you start to take on, on some of their characteristics. The more you start to look like and act like and respond like them. The more we're around Jesus, the more we'll be like him. So what he says in verse 35 is this, is in all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, 
So there's this really dirty word used there and it's called hard work. And this is something that's foreign to our culture today. And so when Jesus called you to himself, he did not call you to a life of ease. Did you not see what Paul says in all things I've shown you that by how working hard in this way, look at how I did it. He said, I did the hard work, I did the difficult work. So he doesn't call us to a life of ease. And so as I was thinking about it, as I was trying to figure out, okay, how, how, do, I, how do I demonstrate this or illustrate this? And so as I tried to remember, I, I just went back to me in school. And there was this shift. There was this shift whenever I was in school. I became more interested in my self-esteem than me learning something. And so it went from me doing horrible on a test to how's this little guy gonna feel about himself whenever he realizes and sees that he makes a 50. So what we'll do is let's let him take it again. Well, you know what happened? Whenever I got to take the test again, I made a 62. 12 points though, right? We're holding on to that, 12 points. So what's he gonna do when he, when he thinks he's a bum because he only made a 62 now and that's still not a passing grade? What kind of citizen is he gonna be? What kind of person will he grow up to be when we tell him that, he, that he's foolish because he won't study even when he's given a second chance? So you know what they did? They give me a third chance. And I don't know when that shift occurred. I don't know why we got so worried about that kind of stuff because what it has done and it has produced this type of entitled laziness among my generation and below that always has somebody else to blame and has some sort of allergic reaction to the reality of hard work. And so when God saves us, he calls us to the hard work of proclaiming and living him out. And Paul says, that's what I've modeled. You've seen me do the difficult work of engaging people in conversation, of being able to, to talk through the scriptures. You, you've seen me do the difficult work of living it out and loving Jesus. Verse 35 says, in all things I have shown you that by working hard, there it is again, in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So I just believe that's what we need to be known by. We need to be known by working hard. We need to be known by um, uh, giving things away and loving on others. I mean, we as a church should be the most giving people that this world's ever met. We should be the most caring people that this world's ever met. That's the claim they should make about us. Not that we're hateful, that we throw fits, that we're lazy or that we browbeat people. We just can't, you, just can't, you just can't get them to do something. Like I'm almost embarrassed to say that I'm a preacher sometimes or that I'm a pastor because what's, 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 the, what's the first thing that comes to mind? The bum preacher that don't do anything. The guy that doesn't do anything. And the running joke is we only work two days a week, right? So I mean, my goodness, they should have time to do some stuff, shouldn't they? But is that not, is that not the mentality of the whole church? And those Christians, they're just lazy. They'll tell you something just to tell you something they won't follow through with. They won't give, they won't love, they won't care for. Is that not the picture of the church? And Paul says, no, we need to do the hard work of pressing in. And then Paul closes with this as the band comes up. And he says, and when he had, he had said these sayings, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and they kissed him, being sorrowful, uh, most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again and they accompanied him to the ship. So as the band's here to close us out this morning, three things, don't fall asleep. Whatever you do, don't grow complacent and satisfied. Please church, keep pressing in, Pre please keep, keep seeking. And the way that we can do that is always to be sensitive to sin. See, that's why the church in Ephesus was so successful is because they were sensitive to their sin. They lived a life of confession and repentance. When they sinned, they were brokenhearted over what they had done to Jesus. That's what, that's what had happened. They were sensitive to it. The second thing I would say is this. Go where God calls you. What will God stir in your heart as it pertains to taking the gospel to all people everywhere? 
I, I mean, one of the guys that's a part of our church has been away at school. One of the guys that should have been standing up here with everybody else in his tassels and his cap and his gown is in Canada right now. One of the guys that didn't have much of an opportunity to be around here is because he went and he got plugged in at a church close to his school. Why? So he could impact that community where he's, he's at. And should that not be a picture of us? God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And hear me, if we don't start praying now, if we don't start seeking now in three to five, whenever years, maybe one, I don't know what it's gonna look like. When it comes time for us to plant as a church, we'll never do it because we become so complacent and comfortable. What about my people? And what about the people that don't know Jesus? You wanna say to hell with the world because you've got a little friendship here that you're afraid that you can't pick up a phone and call? That you can't go get lunch with? Just because you don't set in a service with them once a week? Church, if, if, if our heart isn't geared toward the gospel and to being serious about what God's doing in the midst of this world, we'll have that mentality, my four, no more. We're good size. I mean, look, I mean, we're good size. Look at this. I mean, there's still a few seats here and there that we can put people in. We can add a few rows in the back if we need to. I mean, we can handle Easter every year right now. We're good. We're reaching people. There's some new people coming in here and there. The point is not to reach some people. The point is to reach the world. The point is to be the church and do what we see happening in the scripture. That's the point. And the last thing I would say is this, is that we need to work hard. Following Jesus is not easy. It's difficult and the cost is great, but the joy that it brings church is so worth it. So that's how we need to work. We need to work hard with everything in us. So when you go to work tomorrow, you don't work for your employer. You don't work for the one that signs your check. No, you work for Jesus. That's what the scripture teaches. That's what the word of God teaches. So I don't know what God stirred in your heart this morning as a result of his word, but man, my prayer is that you be obedient. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as savior, maybe the first step for you is coming to know him as Lord and savior. Maybe the next step for you, if you are his, is to make sure that you're awake. Make sure you're in tune with who God is and what he's doing and what he's calling you and what he's stirring in you. And maybe the third thing you need to look at is this, is am I, am I working hard? Am I working hard? Am I giving to I don't have anything else to give? Because like, you know what this gathering is. That's what this gathering's for. It's to fill us back up. That's what this is. I mean, I mean, this is just a small sliver of what discipleship is. No, discipleship is investing and giving your life away. It's pouring into. It's doing life with. I mean, this is great and good, but this, this isn't the best way that God moves and works. I believe he does his best work in a small group as we're doing life, as we're rubbing shoulders with people. Uh, everybody expects me to stand up here and tell you about Jesus. But you know what Jesus expects of you to tell everybody about Jesus out there? For me to tell everybody about Jesus out there. And hear me, that's hard work because we've got to study, we've got to press into, we've got to know the word of God. We gotta know that people are gonna want nothing to do with us, that they're gonna uh, mock us and make fun of us and throw us out. We, all of that stuff's coming. But what do we do? We press in. We come back here and we get refilled so we can go back out. Church, that's what we need to be about. So I don't know what God stirred in your heart this morning, but you respond as God leads. If you wanna come pray, if you need to go encourage somebody, if you wanna love somebody, if you need somebody to pray with you, if you need to know more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, that's what we're here for. God, speak in this moment, Lord, we pray. Help awaken us to the reality of what you have to say to us. And then we pray. Amen. You stand. The band's going to lead us. You be obedient to what Jesus calls you to in this moment.